of an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And now, Mike Hickson. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15 today in our study as we think about the prodigal son, a very familiar parable or story told by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin by saying that God loves each and every one of you. God desires the salvation of all people. The Bible tells us God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul said many, many years ago that God's desire is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There is always the danger of some putting off what they know they ought to do. And to those who put off doing what they know they ought to do, spiritually speaking. My encouragement is this. Don't go too far and don't stay too long. In looking at the prodigal son, we read about a young man that went out into a far country. Fortunately for him, he came home. And I want to suggest, I want to submit to you today that if you are living in what has been called the far country of sin, that there is a way home that God wants you to come home. I want to begin by talking about the bold request. Really, it's somewhat of a brazen request made by the young son. Jesus said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to him, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his living, or his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. Let me begin by saying that from my vantage point, this was a bad decision. All of us are faced with making decisions on a regular basis. Some of the, some of the decisions that we make are very minute. Others, however, carry a lot of weight. This decision was one that we would classify as carrying a lot of weight. Because you see, for every action, there is a corresponding reaction. And so, here is a young man, a young son. He makes a very bold request. He wants his inheritance early. His father complies. And Jesus said that he took all of the things entrusted into his care and went out into the far country. Wonder what that did to his relationship with his father, his brother, other family members, friends, etc. You know, Paul said many, many years ago, Be not deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. 
If you make a bad decision, sometimes you can recover. Sometimes it's not so easy to recover. Sometimes our decisions affect other people. It's kind of like throwing a stone out into a lake of water. It has what we call a ripple effect. I would submit that his bad decision led to broken dreams. Note if you would what Jesus said. He gathers all together, journeys to a far country, and there he wastes his possessions with prodigal living, with wasteful living. So, according to Jesus in the narration of this story, here's a guy that takes his father's inheritance, goes out and literally blows everything. Now I want to ask you a question. When he went to his father and asked for that inheritance money, do you think, do you think that he ever thought about the possibility of his dreams being shattered? I suspect that he took that journey into a far country expecting to have a lot of fun, to enjoy good times, and yet, isn't that what sin always does? Isn't it the case that sin offers people so much and yet in return gives very little? I understand there are momentary pleasures and gratifications. But when it's all said and done, you think about sin offers you the world, but what does it really deliver? It destroys reputations. It destroys relationships. It brings about pain and sorrow, shame. There are a lot of things that come with making bad decisions. And really, there's a correlation. When you think about his bad decision, it led to his broken dreams. I promise you, when people think about going out and enjoying the pleasures of the world, they're not looking at the negative. They're thinking about the positive. When this young fella went out into that far country, he wasn't thinking about the flip side of the coin. He goes out expecting to have a great time. He's going to live it up. The only problem is things didn't work out so well. Someone has said in the long ago, that when you, when you think about sin, it'll take you farther than you ever intended to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Here's what the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 13. The way of the transgressor is hard. Now, consider if you would the bankrupt dilemma. Let's note his bankrupt dilemma. He's wasted his possessions, his substance with prodigal living. Verse 14 says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave to him. First, the sorrows of sin. 
This guy has spent everything. He has nothing. Is that not what sin does? As I said a minute ago, it promises, it promises you the world. And what does it really give you? Sorrow? Heartache? There are a lot of folks that, to borrow the words of Paul, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows because of a life of sin. Now, in the context of that statement, Paul is talking about the love of money in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. But there are a lot of things, there are a lot of places that you can go, a lot of things you can get into in this life. But when it's all said and done, it's going to bring you a lot of heartache, a lot of sorrow. A second thing, think about the shame of sin. Look again at what Jesus said. Here is this young guy. He spent everything that his father has entrusted into his care. And now he is out feeding with the swine. He's out eating in a pig pen to a Jewish boy. That, that had to have been a terrible insult. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the state of the Gentile world. And in about verse 27, he talks about men who are engaged in homosexual relations. And he said, men with men doing that which is shameful. There is a, a certain amount of shame attached to a life of sin. Th this young guy, there's no doubt he was ashamed at the state he found himself in. I remember many years ago a fellow talking to me and this man had literally made a mess of his life. I wish I had time to just chronicle for you some of the mistakes, unbelievable mistakes he had made. And he said that on one occasion he was downtown and he came across or he came face to face with a man that he had known for a long time. A man that was very respected in the community, a good businessman. And this man knew about his plight. And he said when he saw him, he just kept his head down. Didn't want to make eye contact. That's what sin does. It makes you ashamed. Ashamed of all those bad mistakes, of all those broken dreams. It'll leave you bankrupt. There's a third thing, and that's the separation imposed by sin. Isaiah talks about how sin separates us from our God in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. This young fella, he separated from his family. He separated from his friends. He separated from home. He is a long, long way from home because Jesus said he's in the far country. Is that not what sin does? Put you in a separated state? There are a lot of folks today, they feel the isolation, the separation that comes from living in sin. 
You know, when you, when you live in sin, you really don't have a kinship. If you're a child of God and you've gone back into the world, there's really not that kinship, that full fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's not that sense of fellowship with God the Father. You can't go to, you can't go to bed at night with a sense of peace and happiness and joy. Why? Because there is separation. Now, consider his brave resolve. In verse 17, Jesus said, but when he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. As we think about his brave resolve, first it begins with a sense of awareness, doesn't it? We can never be helped until we understand where we are. If somebody is an addict, whether it be a drug addict, maybe that individual is enslaved to some type of chemical drugs or prescription drugs, others enslaved to alcohol, can they be helped? Yes. But the only way they can be helped is when they see their plight. They've got to understand, I'm an addict. I've got trouble. This young fella, he's out in this far country of sin, and the Bible says he came to himself. What happened? That light went off. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden? And God called out to Adam in the long ago, and he said, Adam, where are you? Did God not know where Adam was? God's omniscient. God knows everything. Not only is God omniscient, he's omnipresent. He knows all. He sees all. He is everywhere. God knew where Adam was. God wanted Adam to take a look inside his own life and realize where he was. That's the state here. This young fella, he hit rock bottom. We talk about hitting the bottom and knocking the bottom out. That's what he did. So he came to himself. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle Paul talks about those who have gone off into a life of sin. And the goal is to retrieve that soul, to bring them back to the Lord. And he talks about that they may come to their senses. That's the idea. That's what we're talking about. People coming to their senses. Realizing, hey, I need to make a change. Now, awareness is important. Acknowledgement goes hand in hand with being aware of our state. This young fellow said, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. L let me encourage you along these lines. What, what if you're in that far country? What, what if you're living a life of rebellion to God? Let, let's just say that you, you have 
decided I'm not, I'm not going to become a Christian. Or let's just say that you are a Christian, but you're not where you ought to be spiritually speaking. You're not faithful to the Lord. And your idea is, I'll just keep living like this. I want to encourage you to think about your state, spiritually speaking. I want you to think about where you are. But then I want you to think about acknowledging that state. Now, here's what the devil's going to try to get you to do. The devil wants to keep you where you are. Paul talks about that they may come to their senses and escape the captivity imposed by the devil in verse 26 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. There are some ways that we can react to our situation in life. Number one, we can try to conceal what we've done. We can try to conceal the mistakes we've made. We can try to conceal a life of sin. A good example of that would be King David. You remember when David committed adultery with Bathsheba? Do you remember the great lengths that he went to cover up what he had done? If you read, if you read the record in 2 Samuel chapter 11, He did everything within his power to cover up that shameful incident. When one thing didn't work, he tried another. And ultimately, he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, put in a position where he would be killed on the front line of battle. So he was trying to conceal what he had done. Now a second, a second possibility is we can deny. There are some folks, they live in a, the mode of denial. You talk to them about their problems, I don't have a problem. You ever talk to somebody that has a problem with alcohol or drugs? We talk about interventions. There are some folks that need spiritual interventions. They don't realize that they're out in that far country. They are in a mode of denial. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man of blindness. Caused a lot of stir among the Jewish people. They prided themselves on their Jewish ancestry. They thought, spiritually speaking, they could see clearly. Jesus pointed out to them that if they were blind, their sins would be forgiven. But he said, now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. What was the problem? They were in denial. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they are in denial. If your life is not what it ought to be, if you're not where you ought to be spiritually, you've got to come to the realization you need some help. And you can live in denial. You can choose not to come to worship regularly. You can choose not to read the word regularly. You can choose not to be involved in the work regularly. You can choose not to live a holy life on a regular basis. 
and claim to be a faithful child of God. But you're in denial. Now, one other possibility is you can blame others. Back in Genesis chapter 3, you remember when God confronted Adam about what had taken place in the garden? Do you remember how Adam responded to God? He said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. What do you think, what do you think Adam was saying? I think what Adam was saying is, look, you want to blame somebody? Blame, blame that woman. I mean, she's the problem. She's the one that led me to transgress your command in the Garden of Eden. You can blame other people. There are folks all over our country, all over our world, they're blaming others for their sad plight in life. I will freely grant there are some people that have a lot of problems, and sometimes those problems are the result of the bad decisions of other people. But spiritually speaking, we don't need to blame others. Could it be the case that sometimes a brother or sister will say something hurtful to us and defend us? Yes. But don't let it break your faith. There are some people in the church, they have left the Lord because somebody made them mad or somebody offended them or they didn't like this or they didn't like that. And so they blame somebody else. Don't blame somebody else. We've got to understand the church is a hospital. Hospitals are for sick people. And the last time I checked, every person who is a member of the church is sick with sin. The only difference is we have the blood of Christ availing in our lives. And so we're not perfect. People are not perfect. Don't let other people destroy your faith. So his resolve, you ready to go home. Now, what about his blessed reunion? Note, if you would, what is said in our text. Verse 18, he said, I will arise, go to my father, say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. First, the compassionate father. The psalmist in the long ago talked about the compassion of Almighty God. And he said, because of his compassion, he forgave the iniquity of the children of Israel. You will never find a more compassionate being than Almighty God. Look at the life of Jesus. When you look at the life of Jesus, is it not the case that he was often moved with compassion for people? Why was that? Because Jesus cared about people. So we talk about the compassion of the Father, but what about the care of the Father? Listen to what he says to his servants. Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Two things very quickly. 
Number one, there was a restoration that took place. Reconciliation. This young son had gone out into this far country and that father, upon seeing him, was moved with compassion and ran to him. The son made the first step to go home, didn't he? But the father met him. And then a demonstration of the father's care. I want to say this to you. If you're living outside the sphere of spiritual safety today, you need to understand God is compassionate. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've said. God has the ability to forgive you. To those who are outside of Christ, the Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. God has the ability to forgive. Why does he forgive? Because he is compassionate, merciful, loving God. Reconciliation can take place. Not only can we enjoy restoration, but if we do that, if we come home, there is a sense of rejoicing. Look again, they began to be merry. In verse 10, when Jesus presents the parable of the lost coin, he talks about the woman that loses a coin and finds it. And the analogy is that between a coin that's lost and a child of God who's lost or a person lost. And in verse 10 he said, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Did you know that heaven is made happy when people come home to God? We talk about this great redemptive plan. God had you in mind. You, individually. We live in a world of 7 billion people. I can't even begin to fathom that number. And yet... To know that God had me in mind, me individually, he had you in mind. God wants every person to be saved. Now we talk about going home to heaven. And the way home is to come home. If you're outside of Christ, you need to come home. If you come home, you can go home one day. What about your spiritual state? Every word in Scripture has a place. This story was told because it's powerful and because there is a point. God wants you to be saved. And God has gone to great lengths to save you. What about your spiritual life? Are you a Christian? If you're not a child of God, let me tell you right now, God wants you to be saved. He doesn't want you out in the far country of sin. He doesn't want you living in denial and concealment and blame. He wants you home. What do you need to do? You need to, to believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. You need to be willing to repent from a life of sin. Turn away from it. Give it up, Luke 13, 3. And then confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And then the Bible says we are to be immersed in water so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 2, verse 38. What if you're a child of God and you've gone back into the world? Did you know that Peter said the latter state is worse than the beginning? It would have been better for you not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to you. If you're out in that far country of sin, you need to come home. Because you see, one day you too will stand before Almighty God. God doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to come home. We would love to welcome you back home. One day this life's going to end. When, I don't know. But it'll end. And there are people in eternity, as we speak, that sadly, they went too far and they stayed too long. They never came home. You're here today. You have the opportunity to make it right, right now. Don't wait too late. Do it today. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love